are, we are trying to be moved now towards a fuller faith. And we've talked about several ways that we can be um, moved toward a fuller faith. Let me kind of recap them. The first one was how we can just not kind of wear the label Christian, but we can actually become little Christ, that we can be Christ's hands and feet in the world, right? And that, um, uh, that part of the things that we're trying to move toward is kind of making room for God in all aspects of our life, making room for God in the story of our lives, no matter where we find ourselves We've also talked about viewing um, our giving and our, and our offering to God and our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, not as giving to God, but as returning to God. And we're going to talk more about that stewardship today. Now, last week, we stood here and we said we are going to be a church that declares that God is right and that we're going to do that in community with one another. Today, we're going to be looking at why we serve. And it's also a very important aspect of our stewardship. And, and things um, that will uh, happen by the end of this morning that I'm praying for is, one, that we will get a sense that we are becoming together part of God's healing work in our world, that we won't leave here without starting to consider and think about how we can be together part of God's healing work in the world. We're going to call that uh, practicing love, okay? We'll just call that practicing love, the practice of real love. And then the second thing that I want us to not leave here without is that we ourselves are not a container with a lid on it. But rather, we are more like conduit. Everybody know what conduit is? It's like that PVC pipe stuff that stuff goes through, right? So uh, I want us to think about more like in terms of service that we are conduit. Many times we get stuck in our faith because we act like a container with a lid on it and less like conduit. And in this series, we are discovering how we are being moved towards a fuller faith. And that means that we are going to conduct God's grace, right, through us. And then we're going to put that grace into action. So, in order for us to get there, I want to lift up some voices, several different voices to you who were conduit in their respective places and times and in their spheres of influence. All kinds of people were influenced by the folks that we're going to lift up, but the very first, before we get there, the very first voice that I want to lift up to you belongs to the beloved disciple. Now, that is just a real churchy word for who? John, right, the beloved disciple, John. John, in this passage, is speaking to a congregation that John knows well, and they know John very well, right? But there are two really specific problems that are kind of going on in this context. One of them is that the church is suffering from the outside persecutors, okay? So you have, uh, not only are they uh, in an occupied, right, Roman, the, the Romans have occupied their land, but you also have people who are complicit with that. So you have Jewish uh, religious leaders and you have tax collectors and all kinds of people who are complicit with this occupation and with this persecution of the early church. But the church is not just suffering from the outside. The church is also suffering from the inside. 
And I'm going to call these, they call them false teachers, right, in, in the Bible. What I'm going to call them is I'm just going to call them the haters. So we remember how to, I'm just going to call them the haters. They're the ones on the inside, okay? And these are people that are working against John in ministry. They are trying to tear John down, and they're trying to win people in his congregation over to their kind of stinking way of thinking, so what John is doing in this passage is he's underscoring how they can apply some very simple tests in order that people might be able to identify the haters. These are the stumbling blocks of, of faith. And expose them while at the same time encouraging the church, the body of Christ, to see that it is God who really they must have their faith in. And I believe that that's what good church leaders do. Amen? Would you believe with me? Great. All right, so I'm going to be reading from 1 John. If you don't know where that is, it's right before the very last book, the, the Revelations book. So you got 1st, 2nd, 3rd John there. They're short chapters, so I'll give you a second. So find 1 John, flip over to chapter 3. I'm going to be starting in verse 13 and going through 22. I'll have it on the screens for you as well. I'm going to be reading from you, uh, for, uh, with you uh, from the message translation. So... Remember, persecution from the outside, infiltrated by the haters on the inside. So don't be surprised, friends, when the world hates you. This has been going on a long time. The way we know we've been transferred from death to life is that we love our brothers and sisters. Anyone who doesn't love is as good as dead. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go together. Now, I want to stop right there for just a second and notice a couple of things. One thing is it, it takes John absolutely no time at all to kind of invoke his litmus test, right? <laughs> He's, he's immediately kind of, of, of showing us how people can discern who to follow. If you want to know who is false, they will hate others. They will hate others, especially believers. Hence the name haters, right? Uh, hatred is the natural response of sinful people toward other believers, toward the righteous. So, and this isn't just like general hatred, right? I mean, this is like hatred of the actual Christian people. The ones who love, and I'm going to call them something that we can all kind of relate to here, the loving allers, right? The loving allers. They are fixed and focused on new life, new birth, new things that God is doing. They are conduits of God's grace. They are conduits of God's grace. Now let's continue in verse 16. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially for our fellow believers, for our fellow believers, and not just be out for ourselves. Now let's stop right there. John identifies Jesus Christ and his sacrificed life as the supreme understanding, the supreme understanding of love. So we're going to want to hear 
from Christ this morning. Amen? <laughs> but notice, it, it, it isn't merely Christ's words. Rather, rather, it's Christ's actions that are calling us to be sacrificial in our service. John goes on to say this, if you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? He asks and then he answers, it disappears and you made it disappear. John believes that if you turn your back on others, that you play a part in killing them. He even calls it murderer. Then he goes on to describe real love in practice. My dear children, let's not talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're truly living. Living in God's reality. It also is the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. In other words, it is not enough for me to stand up here or you to sit in the room or you to be on your live stream streaming and do nothing. That's unacceptable. According to John, we must practice real love. He says it's the only way to live in truth and fullness. And friends, he goes on, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and then do what pleases him. Do what God says. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the beloved disciple John and his words. Thank you that we have this word to read and ponder and chew on this morning. God, help us, Lord, to understand it. And God, would you make us conduits of your grace? Would you help us to practice real love? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now listen, my heart is for developing leaders. I've spent my entire educational career learning how to do it. My bachelor's degree is in ministry and leadership development. And so there are many Christian leaders that I can look up to this morning. There are Bill Hybels and the, and the Andy Stanleys of the world and the John Maxwells and there's our own Adam Hamilton. And those are great leaders. But when I think about who, who I want you to really who I want to pour into you. It's going to be people that you really, really know well. I want you learning from the very best. So I've selected a few uh, that I want you to consider. We're going to hear from these voices today. We're going to hear from them. These are servant leaders from all different walks of faith and all different spans of time. And something that I realized as I was preparing for today is that every single one of these model servant leaders in our world are in agreement with really key things when it comes to serving others. Every one of these leaders would agree that in our real practice of love and being conduits of grace, that we would be effective servant leaders. 
One that I want to lift up to you first is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said so many great things. I could just, I could just take his speeches and just, like, you know, plug them in, and, and, and you would be better off for that. But I want, to, I want to lift up something that he said that I really feel encompasses all of humanity. He says this, everybody can be great. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Anybody can serve. We like to make all kinds of excuses and all kinds of reasons why we can't. We're busy. We don't have the money. We don't have this. We don't have that. We, we don't have to do that, though. So one of the questions I want us to kind of chew on if we're kind of in that place today is what is keeping us from fully responding fully into God's claim on us as servant leaders? What is keeping us from that? I want you to try to rack your brain and think through what that might be. And then I want you to move that thought into like, what steps can I take to awaken God's call to discipleship and service? As you know, Martin Luther King, he inspired an entire nation to action in the civil rights movement. He did that. He was able to activate it, much-needed change across our land through social justice by challenging the country to practicing real love. To stop listening to the voices of complicity of his time and to put them to the real test. He forced the people of our great nation to decide whether they were going to continue to be haters or whether they were going to join the loving allers in their movement for the equality of every single person. At stake was the abundant nation, abundant life that our nation was founded to provide those who found their way to our shores. And so let's talk about that abundant life a little bit. Abundant life, what is that to us? What is abundant life? I can tell you what it's not. Let's start there. It's not about what we can get. It's not about what we have. It's not about all of the things that we can take and that we can kind of cram and pack into our container and then put a lid on it. Ultimately, Abundant life is about knowing that we are the stewards of God's blessing. Don't believe me. Let me, let me just raise up something from the Bible. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians, that wealth and prestige and position and power in the world are not really God's priorities for us. 1 Corinthians says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are. So that no one might boast in the presence of God. And so I want to lift up another great servant leader who brilliantly said this about abundant life. You might know this name, Gandhi. <laughs> Gandhi said this, live simply, 
so that others can simply live. So many times we are um, tempted to just pack everything in our container and put a lid on it, right? And accumulate and hoard. But you know what Jesus says in Matthew? uh, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. (laughs) This is not because God is trying to deny us of anything. That's not God's heart. Gandhi teaches in agreement with Jesus that your abundance can be good news for someone else right now. (laughs) Amen? Now, what good is it for you to be a container with a lid on it when you can practice real love by being a conduit of God's grace? And therefore, living simply so others can simply live. This forces us to a realization, friends. Both MLK and Gandhi, their views come at a price. It's safe to say here, friends, that a pattern is developing. A pattern that goodness is costly. So let's talk about this costly goodness. I have to tell you. I don't think God is ever going to look at a single one of you, not a single one of you, and say these words, Craig, I'm going to value you based on what you took in and come wise last year. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Now, what I do think might happen is that God might be far more likely to ask you, How much goodness did you give? How much goodness did you give? For those of you who remain unwilling to pay the price for goodness and who may not be ready for this whole conduit of God's grace business, there is still something that you can do to practice real love. In order to help us understand, I'd I'd like to uh, uh, lift up yet another brilliant voice in servant leadership, the Dalai Lama, who said this, if you can't help others, at least don't hurt them. That's a good word. Remember John's church? Remember the haters? It wasn't good enough for them to leave the congregation be, right? They had to stir up trouble. They had to try to undermine John with his members. They had to try to win people over to their stinking way of thinking. They failed the litmus test of what it takes to be a true loving aller. Because at heart, they were haters who intended to harm. The Dalai Lama said, if you can't help others, at least don't hurt them. Jesus issues a far more stunning warning in the Gospels when he says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a millstone around their neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Ooh, that's strong. (laughs) Millstone is like a big heavy thing, like that's... Now remember, all of that was said for the benefit of those who are unwilling to pay the price for goodness. 
and who may not be ready to be a, a, a conduit of God's grace. Some people walk in and they, and they just find themselves there, and that's okay, but whatever you do, just don't harm. <laughs> now, loving allers, if you are ready to be conduits of God's grace, if you are ready to live poured out, then I have a different word for you. Now, poured out, that's one of those real churchy-sounding terms, right? It's like churchy jargon. But it really gets at what it means to be a conduit of God's grace. Being poured out means that you and I are remembering that we are simply blessed. We are simply blessed to be a blessing. Amen? What a blessing it is to be a blessing. It is in the sharing of our lives with others that we are both blessed and a blessing. We are conduit in practicing real love. We talked about how some Christians operate as containers with a lid, right? But conduit, it delivers good news. <laughs> really good news. And so we should be continually receiving it and then pouring it out, doing something that pleases God. You see what's happening, right? God, through Jesus, is pouring good news into us. And then we're putting it into the lives of others. We're serving it into the lives of others. Wow. Here's the way another incredible servant leader said it. Mother Teresa. Wow. What a beautiful servant leader. Give your hands to serve and your hearts to love. In her life, she served the poorest of the poor. What on earth could she and the poor in Calcutta teach us educated, powerful, prestigious Wealthy American Christians. Do you remember what the Bible tells us about wealth and prestige and position and power in this world? Do you remember? They're not in and of themselves bad, but they are also not God's priorities. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little smaller. That's convicting. Mother Teresa knew something from her context. Serving the poor in Calcutta that can help us practice real love and be a conduit for God's grace. She knew that poverty and persecution cannot overcome the prosperity that God has for us in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen? She agrees with Jesus who, when faced with a poor woman who only had two coins to put in the plate... She agrees with Jesus who said, hey, all you religious leaders who tithe out of your abundance, <laughs> this lady, no, 
She, on the other hand, gives out of her emptiness, her lids off. (laughs) She gives out of her emptiness. It's so easy to sit in our chairs and stand on our stages and sit behind our laptops and our iPads and our cell phone screens and think that we have nothing to offer. But Jesus challenges us by saying, then give out of your emptiness. Church, we're meant for more. We are meant for more. If you're sitting here today and you are committed to being moved toward a fuller faith, Understand that we're not trying to shake you down for your money. We're not trying to take your peace of mind away from you. We're not trying to get into your personal business, although if you have some that you need to talk to me about, I'm here. We're not trying to extract a story from you. No. We're simply trying to teach you in agreement with the greatest voices and servant leaderhood that this world has ever known, including the Son of God. How to practice real love and how to be conduits for God's grace. If you can't be a loving aller, hey, at least don't be a hater. But if you are a loving aller, let's not just talk about love Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're truly living, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down the debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of, And we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. We're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hand and receive what we've asked for because we're doing what he said, what pleases him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, your word is true. Help us, God. Help us to take in the words of these great servant leaders, all of whom you made, all of whom you promoted. God, help them and their legacies live in us. Help us to practice real love. Help us, God to be conduits of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.